Once again, good morning, everyone. Good morning to all of you in the overflow and those of you at the Franklin campus. God bless you all. God bless you, Pastor Eric. Don't forget, on January 17th, Unity Sunday, it's a big day. It's a tradition at Woodburn Baptist Church where we have united with the congregation at First Baptist Woodburn now for several years. The day has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and now we add the Franklin campus, and there's no way that our house can hold that day. So now the this coming January 17th, Unity Sunday is going to be held at the Goodnight Auditorium in Franklin. Everybody's going to have to make a drive to Franklin, but it's going to be worth it. The Goodnight Auditorium will hold about 700 or more, so I think we can accommodate a larger crowd. We will spread the word in Woodburn. You guys spread the word in Franklin, and we will make that a great day. Unity Sunday, January 17th. Looking forward to that. Also, later in the month, I'm going to join the Franklin campus live at the 11 o'clock service and look forward to that. So uh, uh, be in prayer, and we'll gather together. It's going to be a good month. Open your Bibles to the 139th Psalm, starting a brand new sermon series, the first of the year. This one entitled, Me, Myself, and God. Me, Myself, and God. At the first of the year, I know that lots of us are thinking about new beginnings. We're making goals, and we're thinking about making changes. And so I like to come right back down to basics, back to what is important, and perhaps guide you as you think about a new start for yourself. Me, Myself, and God is a sermon series intentionally designed to ask you to think about your personal relationship with God. Uh, all of us are created to be in relationship with him. But I'm afraid in our day and age we're, we're beginning to sort of lose touch with what a relationship actually is. At, at my last look, I have 669 Facebook friends. 669 Facebook friends. Is that a lot of Facebook friends? Probably not, actually. I'm sure some of you have more. But it's that word friend user that that we use kind of loosely. It is very, very easy to have and maintain a Facebook friend. What do you have to do? Just click the button. Yeah. Somebody comes on, says they want to be my friend. I click a button. I accept them. I don't even know half these people. I don't know half of these people. Some of you have a lot of Facebook friends, but you're friends with uh, John Calipari or, or Lady Gaga or somebody like that, people you don't even know either. I could go through and unfriend half of these people, and they never miss me, and, and I'd probably never miss them. It's interesting. We call them friends. I'm afraid that we're losing touch with what a friendship is. If we consider that a connection... That's not much of a connection. Any friendship that takes no effort, any friendship that's not sustained and maintained, it is not going to be a a meaningful relationship. And the same applies to your relationship with God. If your relationship with God is not something that you intentionally pour yourself into, something you intentionally sustain and nurture and strengthen, then you're going to drift from God. And if some of you are honest right here today, you would say that over time you've drifted from the Lord. This sermon series is entitled to, to call you back to that one-on-one relationship with the Lord. And the place to begin is Psalm 139. Psalm 139, for some of you, it's probably one of your favorite psalms. It is for me. Let's look at these words once more from the New Living Translation and listen to how God would speak to us today. Psalm 139, a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. Notice that God's not far away. I'm far away. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. 
You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there... Your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Matthew Paul Turner uh, written a book recently called Church in which he tells a story about looking for a new church. There wasn't really anything wrong with his old church. It was just a problem with the pastor. Matthew says the pastor could never, ever learn his name. They were members for three years. He said for a long time he tried to forgive the guy, but he says when it comes down to church for him, there's really only one need, and he's come to recognize it. When it comes to church, his one need is to be on a first-name basis with the pastor. He wants the pastor to know him, and it's very important to him. In his old church, he said they would go through the, you know, the hug the pastor line at the end of a Sunday, go through that line. And every single Sunday, it was like meeting that man for the first time. Does this sound familiar to any of you? It was like meeting him for the first time. He and his wife would come through and the pastor would say, I have a feeling I've met you somewhere before. Matthew and his wife would say, yes, we've been members here for three years. He would say, I knew it. Your last name. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Okay, give me the first letter of your last name. It's Turner. Turner starts with T. I knew that. So good to see today. And he gave him a big sideways hug. That sound familiar? Man, that's me. That's me all day long. And it's some of you too. Because Matthew would walk away offended. He would get offended, getting tired of reintroducing himself to his own pastor Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. That's why they changed churches. What's that about? Uh, On the one hand, I really feel for that pastor. Man, that could have been a story one of you told about me. I do that all the time. I'm human. We're all human. But at the same time, because we're human and because of the way God made us, we have a real need to be connected. 
There's something about me. I want to be known. Now, we all have different needs and different levels of this need, but there's not a person in the world who was created to to be absolutely alone. Not a person in the world who was created and intended to be anonymous. We were created for relationships. Scripture says God breathed his breath, his spirit into us, and we became, the man became a living soul made in the image of God. Now understand, God is a radically personal God. This is what sets the God of the Christian scriptures apart from all other world religions. The God we meet in the Old and New Testaments is a personal God. The Hindu gods are not personal gods. In Buddhism, there is no God at all. Do you understand that? Buddhism is actually an atheistic religion. There's no God in Buddhism. This radically personal God, this God who knows us and calls us out by name and writes down every day of our life in his book before we've even been alive, this radically personal God wants to know us. He is the God of love and his love overflows. This is what scripture reveals about God and this is the God in whose image you and I have been created. That means we are created like him for love. We are created for connection. We are supposed to be connected to God first and then to other people. There's this wonderful sense in which as human beings made in the image of God, we're aware of God. No other creature on the planet is aware of God like we are aware of God. And we're aware of other people in a way that no other creatures are because we're made in God's image. We're aware and capable of relationship. We're aware of God. We're aware of others. And we are aware of ourselves. We are made in the image of a radically personal God. The new sermon series is called Me, Myself, and God. And what I really want you to consider is the fact that you've got to deal with yourself. Now, as I said, we're aware of God and we're created for relationship with God. And we're created for relationship with other people. But we're also created for a relationship with ourselves. You've got to deal with yourself. When I was growing up in Sunday school, we used to use the old acronym JOY, the letters J-O-Y, to remind us to keep the relationships in the proper order. Anybody else learn it that way? J-O-Y. The J stands for Jesus first. Jesus first. In other words, in my life and in your life, to get things in proper order, I've got to put the Lord first. So the first relationship, the most important relationship, is your relationship with God. Jesus first. That's the J. The next letter is O. What's the O stand for? Others. Jesus first. Others second. If you're going to live any kind of life of fulfillment and happiness, you've got to learn to put Jesus first and then others second. You want to put others ahead of yourself. We're talking about priority. We're talking about the importance of relationships. You've got to put Jesus first, others second, and the why is yourself last. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. We all know that. Everybody knows you can't live life putting yourself first. You can't live a self-centered, self-focused life. You were not created for that. That's not the proper order. And I want you to hear me say that. It's Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Yourself last. 
But don't forget, it's an obvious thing. Although in, in, in order of importance and, and in order of my priority, I don't prioritize myself. And I would say Jesus first, other second, myself last. But at the same time, I have to deal with myself first and constantly. I have to deal with the relationship with my own self. I have to do that before I can love God and before I can love others as I should. I've got to deal with myself. So this relationship with myself is very, very important. And Scripture assumes this. Scripture acknowledges this. The golden rule says you should do unto others as you would have them do unto you, yourself. In other words, in in terms of basic morality, you have to have this awareness of yourself, this awareness, this knowledge of how you like other people to relate to you. It's a basic sense of self that's important for morality. The great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's the assumption in Scripture that knowing how to love yourself somehow comes first. It's something you have to learn. You've got to deal with yourself. You've got to somehow iron out this relationship with yourself. You have one, you know. You're supposed to love and care for yourself. You have a relationship with yourself. Does that sound strange? If it sounds strange, just think about how you talk to yourself. How many of you talk to yourself? Raise your hand. Man, I have great conversations with myself. If nobody's home, I do it right out loud. You ever stand in the mirror and talk to yourself? Man, am am I crazy? No way, man. Y'all do this all the time too. We talk to ourselves. So think about this relationship you have with self. First off, I like to ask you, How do you talk to yourself? It says a whole lot about the relationship you have with yourself. If scripture says you should love others as you love yourself, then think about how you love yourself. When some of you talk to yourselves, what do you say? Horrible things. You talk to yourself and you tell yourself that you're fat. And you tell yourself that you're ugly. And you tell yourself that you're worthless. And you tell yourself that nobody loves you and nobody likes you. Listen to how you talk to yourself. You've got to learn to love and care for yourself. It's very, very important. You have a relationship with yourself. You've got to deal with yourself. Problem is most of us don't like ourselves very much. We like to sort of steer clear of ourselves. That's why we avoid being alone. And honestly, it's also why we avoid being with God. Because as we get to know God, we will inevitably get to know ourselves as well. And some of us are simply not comfortable looking at ourselves in the mirror. We don't like to see what there is to see about us. Think about it. There was this guy uh, a while back. He was stranded in the airport in Memphis, Tennessee. Anybody ever been stranded? Anytime I've flown through Memphis, I got stranded there. It's an odd place. It's like the, the, the devil's triangle of airports somehow. Anyway, this guy was stranded in the Memphis airport. At the Memphis airport, there is a, a, a everything for $10 store. You ever seen that? Everything for $10, and it's all women's stuff. It's all women's stuff. So this guy was stranded in the airport and he decided, being a good husband, that he would go into the $10 for everything store and buy his wife something, buy a gift for her. He had been there for hours. 
So he walks into the $10 for everything store. It was all women's stuff. There was perfume for $10. There were beautiful scarves for $10. There was a lot of jewelry, a lot of jewelry, everything $10. He was sort of killing time. He was looking for something for his wife. And all of a sudden, he heard this horrible crash. And he turned around, and this whole jewelry counter had been pulled over. It was turned over, and the floor was covered with broken glass, broken mirrors, and jewelry everywhere. And he looked, and every woman in that store ran. All the women scattered. The man sat there thinking, man, those crazy women, those cowardly women. One of those women turned over that jewelry counter, and she ran, and the, all the rest of them ran too, so they wouldn't get blamed for it. Crazy women, that's what he's thinking. Crazy women. He's the only one in the store now. The women scattered. He just looked back at the mess, kept looking, and it didn't matter to him. He just started looking at the scarves and the perfume. He took a couple of steps thinking about the crazy women. All of a sudden, he heard something begin to jangle. Something was about to fall. And then he felt a tug on his back. And he realized he had his backpack on. He had been wearing this backpack for hours. He'd had it on so long, he forgot he had it. And when he looked, there was a necklace hung on his backpack. And he was about to pull over another jewelry counter. It was him. The whole time, it was him. He was the one making the mess in the store. He was the one turning over jewelry displays. It was him. He blamed everybody else. And you and I are like that. How was it that he could be doing all of this damage behind him and not know it? Well, he was carrying baggage. He was carrying something, a backpack. He had carried it so long, he didn't even know he had it. He had forgotten that he carried it. And therefore, as he walked along and turned things over, he had no idea, and he blamed everybody else. Honestly, my friend, this might be your life. Most of us really aren't very aware of ourselves. We're not very aware of the baggage, of the junk that we carry. We've carried it so long, we don't even think about it. It's completely subconscious. We just carry ourselves this junk, but we never look back, and we never look inward, and we have no idea what we're like, no idea. So we go through our lives leaving a mess behind us. We go through our lives with a mess of relationships, a trail of destruction, and everywhere we go and every mess we leave, we blame it on everybody else. It's the easiest thing in the world to do, simply to blame everybody else. And some of us will even blame God. We'll blame anybody, but we will not look inside. We really don't want to look inside and see what's really there. I mean, honestly, some of you, you've been in five, six, seven churches in your lifetime. Is it really possible that there's no church in America spiritual enough for you? Is it really likely that there's no preacher in all of creation who's good enough for you? Is it really likely that all the churches you've had to leave, that the problem was with them? Some of you are in and out of relationships all of the time. One man, another man, another woman, and on and on you go through relationships. Is it really possible that everybody else has the problem every time? Do you really think that's likely? Some of you have a whole new group of friends every two years. You can't sustain relationships over any period of time. Do you really think that it's everybody else's problem? 
Maybe you need to look at yourself. Maybe you need to examine the relationship with yourself. You've got to learn to know yourself. You've got to learn to see yourself. This is what the psalmist prays for. This is what he wonders and praises God for. The fact that God knows him. And for the psalmist, it's a wonderful, precious, blessed thought that God knows him. Because honestly, none of us know ourselves all that well. Isn't that strange? I can live inside my skin for almost 45 years and still be an utter stranger to parts of myself. But that's the truth. And it's the truth about you as well. You just don't know yourself very well. We just don't want to know ourselves very well. But God knows us. He already knows us. He knows us before we are even born. And before we're born, he loves us. That's what the scripture says. Isn't that glorious? Notice what the psalmist says about himself, about his body. It's absolutely hilarious because you don't talk like this when you're looking in the mirror. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. Would you ever say that about yourself? Would you stand in the mirror in the bathroom, step out of the shower and spread yourself out and say, your workmanship is marvelous. Would you say that? That's what the psalmist says. You think he's got love handles? Probably. You think he's got back hair? Probably. You think that he's wonderfully and fearfully made? Absolutely. He is God's masterpiece. God knows him. God loves him. And it's amazing to him. You and I have a hard time loving ourselves. A hard time even liking ourselves. But it's not hard for God. Do you understand that? Do you get that? It's not difficult for God. It is his nature to love us. It is his nature to love you. And he loves you. And he knows you. That's why the final prayer of the chapter is so interesting. The final prayer to the God who knows everything. Verse 23 says this. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. God, search me. God, know me. God, test me. God, look at my thoughts and point out anything in me that offends you. What's the psalmist praying for? God, search me. God, you know me. And then, God, I need you to reveal myself to myself. Show me, me. Let me know myself. Let me see what's in me that doesn't belong. God, you've got to hold the mirror up to my face. Seriously, brothers and sisters, you've got to learn to know yourself. But the only way to know yourself is to seek to know God. You ever ran into anybody who said they were going to go find themselves? We all did that in the 60s, didn't we? Going to go find yourself? Sometimes we go on this great quest to figure it out, to, to discover ourselves, to find out who we really are. And typically the way we do that is to look at ourselves, to look at ourselves in relationship to others. We look at our roles in society or in the church. And we just start peeling those back like an onion. You could think of yourself like an onion with all of those layers. And if I want to think about myself or get to know myself, I just start peeling back the layers. I start with the outside stuff, the stuff everybody knows about me. Six-foot guy, big nose, brown hair. I peel that layer off. 
And I start going through all the layers that make up myself. I'm a brown-haired guy, big nose, six foot tall. I'm a pastor. Peel that layer away, the pastor part of me. I'm a husband and a father and a son and an uncle, and I peel all of those layers back. Those are all parts of who I am. I'm an artist. I'm a painter, and I can peel that back. I'm a guy that loves to watch Survivor on TV, and and I love 24. I love Jack Bauer, and I peel that layer back. I just start peeling all that back. I love Mexican food and Chinese food and Japanese food and, and all kinds of food. I can peel all of those layers back. I'm a guy who struggles with anxiety. I get very, very anxious sometimes times and I I peel that back. The guy that on Saturday night can never sleep, I start peeling all of these layers back like an onion. You ever peeled an onion? You ever took all the peels off? When you peel an onion away, what's at the middle? Nothing. Nothing. The onion is the layer. If you start peeling off the layers in the inside, there's nothing there. The onion is the layer. If I start peeling back the layers of me, I I get to the middle and there's really nothing there. At the center of me, there's a space that needs to be filled, that needs to be filled by the Lord. The same is true for you. If you think that you can define yourself by your friends or by the things you do or the things that make you special, your talents, your abilities, your functions, your roles, your job, if you try to define yourself by all those layers, you're going to be a very, very empty person. At the very center of you is an empty place that needs to be filled. It must be filled That's why the psalmist says, Lord, search me. Lord, know me. Lord, look at the very, very heart of me. Point out anything in me that offends you. Notice that the psalmist recognizes that this relationship with God is the very most important thing. And he wants nothing to block it. Wants nothing standing between himself and the Lord. And so therefore he prays to God because he knows he doesn't have the eyes to see his own heart. He knows that the heart is deceitful above everything else. And so he says, God, you've got to look at me. You've got to hold the mirror up. I want you to look at me and I want you to point out everything in me that offends you. I want you to point out everything in me that is offensive to you. Everything that stands between me and you. I want you to point it out because those are the things that I want to remove from my life. The most amazing thing about the gospel, the most amazing thing about a relationship with God is that God and God alone in Christ gives us the power to get over ourselves. And honestly, we need to get over ourselves. We need to get way past this tendency to be blind to ourselves, to refuse to look into our own hearts. We've got to get past that. And only God in Christ can allow us to get past that tendency never to look inside, never to look behind. Only God gives us this ability to stare at our faults, to stare at our flaws, to look at all of the things that block us in our lives and let God start removing those. Only God can do that. 
Paul talks about it in the most wonderful way from the book of Galatians uh, on on the screen. Galatians 2.20. Read these words with me. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's he say? My old self has been, say the word, crucified with Christ. When Paul talks about his self, his old self, he says, he says that old man has been put to death. That old man has been put to death with Christ. And that's very, very important. If you are a Christian, you can say this same thing. You should be able to point to a life and say, yes, this describes exactly what has happened to me. The person I used to be, the person that I recognized myself to be by the Holy Spirit, the sinner that I was has been put to death. I am no longer that man. That woman that you used to know, I am no longer that woman, some of the sisters would say. That's not who I am anymore. I have been converted. I have been crucified, Paul would say. I've been changed. Look at one other verse from Galatians, Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Just like the rest of us, Paul was one of those men who would say that he didn't always like himself. In one place in scripture, he says, what a wretched man I am. All the things that I want to do, the things that I set in my heart to do, I never end up doing. All of the goals I set to better myself, I never reach those goals. All of the things I say I'll never do again, the things that I say I'll never say again, I always do them and say them again. What a wretched man that I am. Who's going to rescue me from me, Paul said. Only Christ. Only Christ. Talking about your relationship with yourself. It is not the most important relationship. Surely you're hearing me say this. Your most important relationship is your relationship with the Lord himself. You were created with an empty place that needs to be filled by him. You will never understand yourself, never know yourself until you know God. You will never love yourself until you learn to love God. It is the most fundamental basic truth I can possibly explain to you. But before you can love God and before you can love others, you've got to deal with yourself. You've got to face yourself. You've got to fall on your face before God and ask him to ruthlessly search out your heart. You've got to ask him to hold up a true mirror before you so that you can see everything in you that is offensive to him. And then let him start removing those things from your life. You may be one of those people sitting right here today that deep down inside you would say you do not like yourself. Deep down inside, you do not like the person you are. My friend, on the one hand, 
we're all like that. You're not all that different from the rest of us. All of us are born like that, sort of divided against ourselves, a civil war going on inside our own heart. You know the only thing that will bring you peace, the only thing that will help you learn to love yourself, to even like yourself, you've got to learn to love God. You want to learn to know yourself, you've got to seek to know God. You start peeling back the layers of yourself, you'll find out you are those layers. And there's really nothing in the middle. Only God can fill that middle place inside you. You were created for a vital, everyday, wondrous relationship with the God who created you and knows you and loves you. I want you to think about that relationship right now. What is the status? What is the uh, basic condition of your relationship with the Lord right now? Think about your prayer life. How do you talk to him and how often do you talk to him? What do you talk to him about? And when was the last time you heard him tell you something, say something sweet to your heart? When's the last time you were that close with the Lord? Some of you have been angry with God and disappointed with God, and I understand that I I have been there, but I'm here to tell you, you need to get past that. God is a great big God. He is larger than your disappointment. He is larger than your anger. You need to bring all of that to him. You need to let him remove that disappointment from your life. Only he can do that. Don't you understand? Some of you through the years, you've let so much accumulate. There is so much now in your life that is truly offensive to God. There is so much in your life that blocks your prayer life, that blocks the relationship with the Lord. And you're going to have to come back to him and say, God, search me again. Look inside my heart. Point out everything offensive in me. And change me. Convert me. Transform me. Save me. We're in a day and age where people don't really seem to do relationships very well. I've got nearly, uh, what did I say, 700 Facebook friends. And most of them aren't any kind of friend at all. Some of you say that you're a Christian, that you have a relationship with God. But honestly, there's no relationship there at all. I want to call you back to a place where you come once more to know God and love God and therefore know and love yourself and get back on that path of everlasting life where day by day God is able to change you, to change your old self, to crucify that old self so that you can be the new person God created you to be. Do you really want to learn to know yourself? One thing, my friend, you've got to learn to know God. Do you want to come to a place where you can love yourself? One thing. You've got to learn to love God. Pray with me. Oh Lord Jesus, we don't like to look inside. We don't like to look into our own hearts. We would much rather go through life, Lord, and blame our problems on everybody else. We would rather blame our hang-ups, our addictions on everybody 
else. Our anger, Lord, it's our wife's fault. Our frustration, it's our kid's fault. Our loneliness, Lord, it's everybody else's fault. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that today you would show us the depths of your love and the width of your knowledge of us, Lord, and help us once more to lay our hearts open before you so that you could search us out. Lord Jesus, today, hold up the true mirror before all of our faces. Help us, Lord, once more to desire nothing as much as a one-on-one relationship with you with nothing standing in between. God, there are those within the sound of my voice this morning who need to fall on their face in prayer before you. They need to lay their hearts open before you. Lord, there is so much offensive in their hearts, Lord Jesus. I pray that you will reveal it to them in a way that breaks their hearts open so that you can touch them and bless them, guide them, and love them. Lord Jesus, I pray for all of us in this house who are divided against ourselves, who do not like or love ourselves, Lord. We know that the object of our lives is not to love ourselves. But Lord Jesus, we've got to deal with ourselves. It is a place, Lord, where we do not like to go. But Lord Jesus, guide us inward where we may find your Holy Spirit there waiting for us, loving us, waiting to bless us. Oh, Lord, in this time of response, Holy Spirit, have full control of this room, full control of our hearts. Lord, there are those in this place who have yet to worship you today, have yet to stop and listen. I pray, Lord, that right now every drowsy mind will wake up and every cold heart will be warmed and every single person, Lord, will come into a grand awareness of your presence and your sweet voice in their hearts. Speak to us, Lord. Help us to listen. Help us, Lord, to know and love you. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Stand together.